You are listening to the Red Carpet Cafe podcast. I am one of your hosts, Eric Root. And I am your other host, Brie Fout. Brie, feels like it's been forever since we've sat down and done a fresh recording. Last couple of weeks have been a bit chaotic between <laughs> my work and such and your work and life. And But, uh... <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready here. Uh, it looks like you. looks like you brought concessions. This time I didn't. <laughs> um, I brought. Try me. I will die on this hill. I brought coconut dairy alternative yogurt, and it okay. Is phenomenal. Why do I have a feeling we talked about something? No, it wasn't. Co- it wasn't yogurt. We talked about something else. I forget. Um, it was a few podcasts ago for the listener, probably even longer than that. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, um, no, that actually sounds uh, pretty appetizing. It sounds amazing, like good stuff. The thing that I don't like about yogurt, not to totally sidetrack us, is its sour taste. I don't like, I don't, I don't like sour milk. Call me crazy, but I don't like it. Okay. And this, aside from one, obviously not hurting my stomach, just the flavor, especially when you get coconut and strawberry, they're the yolk play wheeze. Oh! When you say sour milk, are you referring to like sour cream? No, it's a different kind of sour. Like okay. yolk is also sour. It's not sour in the way that sour cream is. Oh, right. Depending on what you, which not, type you buy. Right. In the way that uh, cottage cheese is. <laughs> okay, but I mean, a lot of like the Greek yogurts, yogurt I bought for my wife, uh, it it doesn't have that sting like you would get from like a plain yogurt, just a plain brand yogurt. Um, so the stuff that she tried was Cabot Greek yogurt, triple cream vanilla bean. 10% milk fat. Um, yeah, yeah. I had gotten a coupon, thanks Ibotta, um, that I used. And uh, she will take, like, um, uh, trail mix, not trail mix, granola, stuff like that, added to it. And then, uh, you know, do, like, kind of her own makeshift uh, Greek yogurt, like, instead of buying it where you have to pour the side cup and you lose, like, half an ounce or whatever that might be. But, uh, <laughs> Because yeah, yeah, yeah. at I, first I thought you were talking about sour cream, and I'm like, yeah, you know, just, most people don't take a spoonful of sour cream uh, and eat it per se. I mean, if you do, that's cool. You probably have the constitution and a, the uh, like iron stomach, but I get, I'm, I think I'm gassy just even thinking about that. The good news is, is if I was gassy, I still have that box of. Gas X Chewables, extra strength. Ask for it by name. Again, not getting paid for that, but maybe we should. If you're out there listening, Gas X people, we'll uh, we'll do a plug for you. <laughs> all right, enough of all this uh, fun yogurt nonsense. Let's talk about some Disney. Stuff I know we do that a lot. We do, and here's the here's the realistic side of it. You were able to go to the theater not too long ago to go see Candyman. I have not. I have seen it. I don't really want to talk about that today because I have 
some thoughts on that that oh. may collide with yours, and everybody's like, "Yes, they're gonna duke it out. Let's do it." Yeah. But no, we're we're gonna stick. We're, <laughs> we're gonna stick with some Disney, and the reason yeah. being is that the movie Cruella uh, is one that did hit Disney Plus on the premiere access, which I did, and theaters started opening back up, so people did get an opportunity to go see it as well that wanted to go. But let's face it, the pandemic didn't give us a lot of options for the most of the last year and a half. So we either had to watch it on Amazon, Apple TV, Disney Plus, Paramount Plus, Name a Plus. It's it's You name it, we got it. Yeah, kinda. I mean we really didn't have much of a choice. So those that ponied up like I did, I had a chance to watch it a few times. Um, and, oh, did you see the preview for what's coming out here on October 6th on Disney Plus? No. Muppets Haunted Mansion. There's a trailer for it, and it looks fun. I'm very excited about it. I'm going to look into that. That's something I will definitely pay premiere prices for no no need for premiere it's actually included on the uh i believe uh well october 6th it's just dropping as a um movie to see and i believe i sent you the link didn't i i sent you the link for the disney day you told me about disney day last night okay yeah so disney day um as i'm speaking i'm sending you a snapshot of the photo is on November 12th, and Disney Plus is going to be streaming Marvel Studios' Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings. That's pretty quick. But they also mentioned it was going to be 45 days or so in the theater before it hit. Uh But they're doing that. They're doing Disney's Jungle Cruise, Home Sweet Home Alone, which is another Home Alone movie. I'm very excited about Disney's Olaf Presents when he starts retelling some of the Disney classics in his own way. Um, and then some other, uh, lo- looks like some shorts and some other things as well. So is this just for one day only you can watch all this? See, really- don't know. I don't yeah. know if that's the case, but November 12th is, I believe the an- second anniversary of Disney plus. Hmm. I think that's just kind of to kick it off. I don't know that it's a one day event cause otherwise Christmas ornament. Like when I used to work there, cause I miss those. That's a good question. They I don't should. think so. I can't remember the song. They should. No, the big focus right now for those that are working at Walt Disney World are getting their 50th anniversary name tags. That are, they're, they're, they're pretty. They're, yeah, they're like my, I love the um like the hieroglyph hieroglyphic of it. My wife got hers, and she's not allowed to wear it until the end of the month uh, to kick off the uh, the 50th anniversary. But they're pretty. They're very pretty. If like, I would accidentally wear it one day. Uh, I feel like if you take good care of it, it needs to be framed. It looks really cool. Mm-hmm. I but, agree. Uh, and they make those fancy frames, too. They do. <laughs> uh, but yes, we're going to okay. talk about Cruella. And you did get the chance to see Cruella. <laughs> okay, I just had to double check. This Cruella <laughs> is now available for everybody to watch. <laughs> And if you've been living under a rock, Cruella is a 2021 American crime comedy film based on the character Cruella DeVille from Dodie Smith's 1956 novel, The 101 Dalmatians. 
The film is directed by Craig Gillespie with a screenplay by Dana Fox and Tony McNamara from a story by Aline Brosh McKenna, Kelly Marcel, and Steve Zissis. It is the third live-action adaption in the 101 Dalmatians franchise and serves as a reboot and origin story, if you will, for the title character. Emma Stone is stars as Cruella with Emma Thompson, Joel Fry, Paul Walter Hauser, Emily Beecham, Kirby Howell Baptiste, and Mark Strong in supporting roles. Set in London during the punk rock movement of the 1970s, the film revolves around Estella Miller, an aspiring fashion designer, as she explores the path that will lead her to become a notorious up-and-coming fashion designer known as Cruella de Vil. Now, <laughs> be careful we don't own the copyright to that song. <laughs> um, what was your What was your initial thoughts? Um, I, you know what? I was really impressed. I, um, I just from the get go, the narration, um, starts off with Emma Stone as Estella explaining, um, who she is and why she's dead. And I'm not giving anything away because she says it in the first 45 seconds. And immediately I was hooked because I was like, oh, this is going to be good. (laughs) And then also, um, her British accent, I was so thoroughly impressed with her British accent. Um, I think that she did a wonderful job with that, whether she um, went to like a speech specialist to learn how to say certain words. Um, it's something that she held on to through the entire movie, and I found that very impressive. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I agree. That that was very interesting how she played that out. Um, you know, the cast in it in general, um, I thought was interesting. I mean, you know, here you have her two henchmen that kind of they all grow up together mm-hmm. after she runs away from... You know, the garden party that... Or not the garden party, but the... Um, what do they call it? The black and white party? There was a party at, at the the yeah. uh, estate that um, Emma Thompson is uh, running that she does every year. And she is a fashion designer that is, like, at the top of her game. And, um, you know, it was interesting that... Uh, you know, the Baroness, which is Emma Thompson, how she played it, because everything clearly annoyed her, no matter what happened, and the things that that didn't annoy her turns out to be, like, a surprise to her in general. And I thought it was interesting that as, you know, young Emma runs away and she meets these two kind of hoodlum boys, that they grow up to become... You know, the, the henchmen's, you know, Jasper and Horace. Yep. That, you know, I, I begin to wonder... It's interesting how they cast who they did based on, you know, previous novels. Or not novels, but, like, you take the Disney animated film. I don't remember Horace being... Um, uh, so big. I mean, maybe he was portly. Maybe. I don't know. Like, I kept trying to think, like... Tall, skinny, and you have your shirt stout. 
Yeah, I guess. And then, well, I mean, also too in the live action films with Glenn Close, did they did they keep it the same? I'm racking my brain. I don't know. I'd have to go back and revisit it at that point. I'm just gonna IMDb it while you're still talking about it. <laughs> I love the soundtrack. Oh as my god! As soon as they popped on Rolling Stones' "Sympathy for the Devil," I was like, yeah. "Okay, they're they're hit swinging for the fences on the soundtrack for the era." Yeah, they did. So Hugh Lowry was Jasper in the Going Close one, right? And Mark Williams was Horace. Okay, so yeah, I call- guess they kept him about the same. Yeah, they kept him about the same in overall size. I was really excited. Um, like. Um, personally, for um, uh, in seeing who Horace and Jasper grow up to be, mm-hmm. um, yeah, my IMDb is really getting the best of me right now. Um, uh, I was really excited to see um, Paul Walter Walter Hauser as Horace. Um, right, I've never been disappointed in anything that he's been a part of. My only not even like like feedback, I guess like concern is he plays the goofy and seemingly clueless character so well. And <laughs> is there and you laugh every time, whether it's him and Richard Jewell or him and Black Klansman. Right. And my my fear for him because I know that he's um I mean, he's he's been in movies for actually quite a few years now. I think I know what you're about to say. Uh, I don't yeah. want him to pigeonhole himself. Right. Like, he's like, he's so good in what he does, and the the things that I've seen him in are, like, he brings something extra to what would otherwise be just kind of like a quote-unquote, like, dumb character. Like, he brings right. so much more to the table, and I want him to be able to, like, keep doing that without having to play the imbecile all the time. No, but I'll say this. I think that his take on Horace was probably my favorite overall character. I agree. And, I I mean, just look, you you get to a point where Estella realizes that um, she wants to be a designer and she wants to overthrow the Baroness as the top designer. Mm-hmm. But to do so, she has to go kind of undercover once she realizes just how cruel the Baroness can be. And right. even though the Baroness hires her out of obscurity from, based on a window that she threw together that basically got her fired from the department right. store, but right. the Baroness loved, she was all in. She's like, great, my dreams are going to come true until she gets to the Baroness's place and realizes oh my god, this woman is going to literally steal all my ideas and I'm never going to get credit and I'm going to kill myself trying to bend over backwards to to be successful, but I won't. It, it, she'll take all the credit. And so you get to that point where she starts designing that incredible looking dress mm-hmm. with all Uh-oh. those little special quote-unquote beads that that, that the, the idiot delivery driver was... <laughs> yeah. and and Horace is master of disguise and his little dog <laughs> yeah dropping off these quote unquote little beads putting them together in that breathtaking dress yeah 
and storing it with the entire collection only to have it open up and find out that it was mod cocoons that destroys everything was such a great brilliant plan oh yeah when that i was like oh but horace I mean, just look at all of the things that he accomplished in that film. He shows up to the black and white party later as an exterminator, dresses his little dog like it's some kind of wild rat. A giant wild rat. (laughs) Right, and has it trained so that it does things on command and he could pretend to go exterminate and try and steal this necklace that uh, Estella really wants. And then later in the party, when everyone shows up to the black and white party, and Horace is dressed as Cruella, (laughs) as is everyone else, I'm like, what on earth is this guy doing? But it was was great. It was great delivery. You wouldn't catch Jasper dead in that outfit, though. Nope. And he was not. And uh, I really enjoyed the performance by Mark Strong. He was the uh, valet and loyal confidant to the Baroness that um, also had a tie to Estella to try and help her, you know, through her pain and grief of everything that had been taking place in the film. Yes, and it, like, it took a while for me to realize that and accept that Mm -hmm. until he finally officially reveals himself like there were a lot of pieces what i liked most about this movie is um it if you grew up watching 101 dalmatians animated and Mm -hmm. grew up watching 102 dalmatians animated and grew up watching the live action 101 dalmatians you already have certain expectations of what you're going to see and what the story is going to be and this was not that at all. You have Anita Darling, you have Roger, but they are not a couple and they don't have Pongo and Purdy. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really took on like a well, mind of its not own. Yet. Eh. Not yet. Not yet, because it's a prequel. Eh. It, 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 is, it is listed as a prequel. But there's not anything in the movie that even suggests that Roger and Anita come together. True. Just that Anita works. Well, not even. Like, I mean, Anita helped Estella slash Cruella, mm-hmm. but in the original story, um, Anita works for Cruella. Right. So maybe, perhaps, that's going to happen down the road. But I also feel that by the end of the movie, I can't necessarily fathom how how the movie ends. We get the Cruella that we grew up with. Okay. And I think I kind of had an issue with that too. But you have that interesting set of twists where in the beginning or early on, you learn that Anita Darling went to school with Estella as mm-hmm. a kid Later, they meet up again as Estella's trying to become Cruella the designer, the hot commodity designer. And Anita is working for a fashion magazine, or was it just a straight news? Maybe it was just a straight news magazine. 
Yeah, and she just happened to highlight fashion. Yeah. And so that was kind of a different take where she's so used to writing these stories that are uplifting about all of the things that the Baroness is doing. But there comes a point where even Anita's like, maybe we do need something new blood in the fashion industry. And so, and then of course you have the, uh, I can't even remember his name. The character that Estella befriends in the secondhand shop that has all of those oh my God, what's designer name? outfits. Yes. He was phenomenal. <laughs> and I can't remember his name. Arden. Yes. <laughs> and she, you know, at one point she's on the run and he's just like, I thought you're dead. And she's just like, uh, I am. <laughs> so what are we going to do? What are we going to be up to? <laughs> A little bit of this, maybe it'd be danger. Not so much the danger, but everything else I'm in. <laughs> and the character arc made sense in this, too. Like, in, like, seeing Estella and what she went through as a child and who she grew up to be and this mentality that she had until kind of the quote-unquote madness takes over, it still produced a twist that I didn't necessarily see coming. Yeah. As the twist was being revealed, I still I still didn't quite get there. So okay. we're gonna talk about the twist like in detail because it's been out for a while. Yeah, yeah, it's been out long enough, absolutely. But I was gonna say Artie also had that David Bowie Ziggy Stardust oh. kind of look to him, which okay. was perfect. Place in the seventies, yeah, he's right. Android um, uh, oh, and then don't forget, we had Roger, who uh -huh. was okay. the Baroness's lawyer, and uh -huh. then he happens to play piano on, like, the weekends. Yep. So, I mean, that's how we got introduced to him. Right, right. But go ahead. Go ahead on the twist. Um, so, yeah, so this twist, you had mentioned um, John, the valet, played by Mark Strong, and his role that he has and we see him in the very beginning of the movie when Estella um, kind of crashes this party that she was supposed to stay in the car during um, and he grabs her and he takes off her hat and then just stares at her for a rather extended period of time and you don't necessarily know why other than he's just horrified by her black and white hair and puts the hat back on and is like, keep this on. Which <laughs> makes sense. Like, it's, if it's this, like, super fancy dinner party and she is dressed in her street clothes and she's got this funky hair, of course he's going to tell her to cover up. He's got his job to worry about. The, the hostess can't see. So it makes sense. And then, you know, you kind of, like, go through the rest of the movie and Cruella comes on the scene and Cruella... Um, actually reveals her black and white hair. Which, at one point, the Baroness is kind of, like, intrigued by, but not sure how she feels about it. And she mm -hmm. looks at John the valet, and he's like, oh, no, it's just a coin. So you know there's something there. Like, they right. know who she maybe might be. But mm -hmm. we don't necessarily know who she can maybe be. But then over time... He catches on 
he catches on to the um, the the truth in that Cruella and Estella are likely the same person. Right. So he brings Estella to his home to reveal some truth to her pertaining to this necklace that she's been trying to steal back from the Baroness that she had as a child. That she was told by her mother was a family heirloom. Turns out the necklace, it opens up to the key, and the key goes to this pot that John has had all these years. And within the box is a certificate of birth. So in that moment in seeing that, because she believed the necklace to be a family heirloom, but then she was told by the Baroness that someone who worked for her um, stole the necklace and you know has it has since been returned. I was starting to think, okay, so Estella's mother is the daughter of the Baroness. I was totally aging the Baroness by a <laughs> She's the daughter of the Baroness and um, like this is her grandmother. She has no idea. Like, oh my gosh, holy crap. Like my mind is blown. And then my mind really got blown when we find out that in fact Cruella, Estella, is the Baroness's daughter. Hence right. the desire for fashion and designing and hence creative techniques that she has and hence this madness that she's quite literally fallen into and can't get out of. Which also made it kind of an interesting point because then suddenly you realize that the woman that she thought was her mom was actually one of the Baroness's help or maid and that um, John, played by Mark Strong, helped smuggle Estella out of there via the maid in order to save her life because the Baroness wanted Estella dead as a baby. Wanted wanted the baby gone because it was just there was competition for her and she wanted nothing but just you know her own personage and you know her husband who ended up eventually dying uh, shortly after that and so once Estella realizes that the Baroness is her mom well now she's plotting revenge. And this is where she... Hardcore revenge. Yeah, she's like, okay, now, I, you know, the woman that raised me was the one that I truly loved, but mm-hmm. it's time to take this Baroness out and knock her off her high horse. And um, so that's kind of where the fun begins, where they, they plot how they're going to do it, and they're going to do it at the black and white party, which is where the woman that she had originally thought was her mom was murdered by the Baroness come to find out based on her trained Dalmatians that she's able to use this whistle to get them to go crazy and uh, knock her off the cliff and it was just perfectly executed I mean everything that could possibly go their way did they were able to um, get everyone to show up to the party dressed like Cruella, even though the world thought Cruella or knew the Cruella to be dead because of um, 
the newspapers saying that, you know, Cruella dies in a fire, which was really set by Baroness and the gang, and they had left her for dead, but Mark Strong's character saves her and keeps her hidden. So she shows up, and when she shows up, she shows up as Estella, but with red hair, and goes out to the spot out on the balcony um, where her mom was killed and pushed off the edge, and has this conversation with the Baroness. Baroness realizes, oh my gosh, you are my daughter. Tries to give her that false sense of security that, oh no, everything's going to be fine and let's hug it out. Yeah. You know, she does just that. Yeah. But by then, all of uh, her cohort, Estella's cohorts, cohorts, have had all the guests go out on the balcony and they're about to witness a murder in progress where... You know, again, she blows the whistle and knocks off uh, Estella oh. off the edge, but everybody witnesses it, and then she's like, oh, she jumped. And they're like, no, she didn't jump. No, Come really. On. You have to believe me. Yeah. She jumped. Yeah, as Estella's plummeting to her death over the edge, um, they, you know, police show up and arrest her, and she's freaking, the Baroness is freaking out that it's a mistake, and come to find out you get the flashback of what's going on and Estella basically does fall off the edge but she has safety gear to get her to safety into the water and then uh, you know kind of roll off as if Estella is dead but oh look at that then Cruella shows up Cruella still lives yeah Um, who also happened to I believe Estella didn't they work it out so that Estella... Um... So Estella signed over her... To, so turns out that with the competition, the dad, when he passed away, left the entire estate and fortune and company to his daughter, mm-hmm. Estella. But Estella so managed to sign it all over to Cruella. He signs everything over to Cruella, so in the event of her death, Cruella now gets everything. Yep. And so after that, they have a makeshift funeral for uh, the, quote, death of Estella, basically symbolizing that Estella is no longer with them and it's only Cruella. Yeah. And uh, then... version of her. It's like like the sweet Estella version of who Cruella is. Right. And you can only assume that it takes time for her to become jaded enough to want to, you know murder Dalmatians to make a jacket. <laughs> so they even reference that in the movie, which is why I feel like as much as it's a prequel, it's really a story in of itself. Right. Like, I I don't know that there will... I mean, maybe there will be a Cruella, too, to bridge the gap between there and um, 101 Dalmatians. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe there will. Cruella 2, The Search for Cash. That's a very possible thing. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, so at at the end of the film, though, we we see that packages are delivered to um, Anita and to Roger. Uh, Roger gets Pongo, and Anita gets Wait, is this after the credits? Because I didn't see this. I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh my god, Brittany. Or did I just, like, not finish the movie? (laughs) Did you just end it right at the credits? Are you freaking oh, yeah, kidding me? I did. It wasn't a Marvel movie. No, but it is 
a Disney film, which Disney owns Marvel. Sure, but like that's not a typical Disney thing. All right, please. Red Carpet Cafe podcast exclusive. Brie doesn't watch the full film. And then Brie hit rock bottom. (laughs) It's like a pseudo-E Hollywood... Okay. Brie. Yes. The movie ends. Yes. Credits are rolling. Credits are rolling. You see all kinds of cool things going by. And then it cuts to a window. Okay. And you hear the piano. And you hear Roger sitting behind the piano... Singing Cruella de Vil, Cruella de... Yeah, I know, we don't own the rights to that. And then a box shows up, and he opens the box, and it's a puppy, and on the tag it says Pongo, and it has a card. Your assignment is now to go back and rewatch the entire film, including the post credit scene. And then on the other side of... I don't know. It almost feels like the other side of the building. Uh, Anita is there, and she receives a box and opens it up, and it's Perdita, and it also has a note from Cruella, and that's how they end it. And that's why I was, like, confused when you go, I don't see how they're going to get... It's it's an exact impersonation. I know the listener's like, oh, my God, that's a dead ringer for Brie. I don't know how they're going to get to 101 Dalmatians. Because it doesn't make sense on how they... Do. I'm paraphrasing. Well, I'm from Mad TV. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, and you could probably even bring it up on your phone right now. Just don't turn the volume up because we don't earn the, own the rights. And see the post credit scene, but that is actually the post credit scene. It's just the one. No other additional ones. But then it kind of alluded to, oh, that's how they start. To a point where I'm sure Cruella 2 will start off with them walking, or maybe the end of it, well, they'll be walking their dogs and they get tangled up, and then all of a sudden it'll be like, hey, how you doing? Yeah. Can't believe you missed that part. Well, in knowing that, like now, yes, it's inevitable that they're going to have a second one. The dogs are adorable. Whatever, but. Were they the, real dogs or were they seen? No, 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 no. They were real. The pups were adorable. Absolutely okay. adorable. Anyway, but, uh, I feel like, regardless of how the the two dogs now exist randomly because of post credit scenes, I still. Well, wait, have- wait. Time out. Time out. Time out. Time out. Time out. We kind of get the. I think, if I remember correctly, we get alluded to the fact that these puppies were going to be coming some point. Because when Estella has her dogs captive, I'm pretty sure they mentioned one of them was pregnant. Or seemed bigger. Um, Bob. They said, does, does Bob seem a little bit fatter to you? That's what Horace says. Something I, I, think that's, I think that's where those pups came from. Yeah. So to which I like, yes, of course, at that point I thought, oh, like this is where the 101 Dalmatians. Like I definitely thought that now that you're right. reminding me of that. But... I that brings up an inbreeding problem, though, <laughs> if it's from the same letter. Oh, yeah. Well, maybe that's how they get to 101. Yeah, maybe. You know, how they get to 101. This is, okay, this is the other thing. I, I need to make this known to everyone now. Because people seem to think that Pongo and Purdy have 101 dogs, or 99 <laughs> dogs. No. And that they make no. 101 between the no. two of them. No, like, 
when they go to rescue the dogs, they find all of the other dogs from all the other families that Cruella has stolen via Horace and Jasper. Right. And then they decide, Congo, or sorry, Roger and Anita decide to keep all of the dogs. And my favorite one come in. I feel like that would break several, like, state and county laws in America, let alone London. Right. Yeah, like to own dogs. that many dogs like I feel like that's yeah that... anyway what I was trying <laughs> to say though is even even though Bob was pregnant and I and I did I, I thought about puppies in 101 mm-hmm. um, and even now knowing that I missed the post credit scene and that Pongo and Purdy do come into play at the very end yeah I still am having a hard time bridging the connection of Estella slash Cruella and where she is now as the movie ended. Right. And the monster that she becomes. Right. Because she became the devil to take down the Baroness. And then she like came back to being like Estella. But she, she I feel like up. she still needs to age. Like she needs to age more in order to hit full on uh, Cruella life goal. Because the movie, she, she, I mean, I could be wrong. Between the animated film and the Glenn Close film, it's not like Cruella's young. Unless she's just like a chain smoker or a drug addict and looks like that based on substance well, abuse. She doesn't look like hell in the live action one, but her animated character definitely looks like she's... Oh like yeah, that. like she smokes 12 packs and drinks from, oh, you know... Yeah. But yeah, exactly. Uh, but I, that's why I'm thinking like in order for them to get there, they would still have to hit one more film. Right. And something not only dramatic, but also traumatic is going to be. Right. Cause the, even in the cards she wrote for Roger and Anita, it had nothing disparaging about the puppies. And I can't even remember exactly what was in it at this moment, but it was more like a gift, like, Oh, here, you know your friend Cruella that type of thing so she hasn't gone full on like puppy killer yet but uh, overall though what would you uh, give this how how many uh, Dalmatian uh, pelts out of 10 are you going to give this film I'm sorry what we're not we're not talking I didn't say carcasses pelts yeah pelts coats Right, therefore, there is a dead carcass somewhere. No, you can shave a dog, I think. Sorry, PETA, if you're listening. So, people for the ethical treatment of animals. <laughs> All right, how many living Dalmatians are you going to give this out of ten? Because she's not a she's not a dog killer yet. Honestly, um, between. The storyline, even though I have some issue as far as how it can storyline, we know um, acting, the actor and actress' choices, the actor and actress' choices. um, I'm gonna go ahead and give it a nine. I really liked it. I was very impressed. Okay. Uh, I'm I'm up there with you. 
I think I'm going to give it a nine and a half. And I think what gives it the extra half for me is the soundtrack. I mean, it was, again, a, a who's who of iconic music from that era of the 70s. Um, very well done. And I liked Emma Stone's performance. Yeah. Um, anything you want to add to this before uh, we uh, wrap this up? No, I, uh, I think you killed those puppies. <laughs> Not literally. Again, PETA, uh, we love dogs. Uh, all right. Well, you've been listening to the Red Carpet Cafe, and I am one of your hosts, Eric Root. And your And the Red Carpet Cafe is a member of the Be Kind Rewind Podcast Network. You can find us on the web at bkrpn.com. And thank you again for listening, everybody. Have a great week.